0: Today we're continuing our series on uh, the life of Peter and, and it's not Peter Bromhead. Uh, we're not talking about the failings of Peter this morning but I do want to have a look and continue on the series that we've been looking at with Peter and, and, and talk about him and his life. And I don't know about you but I, I'm re- I really love studying and hearing and, and uh, learning more about Peter because I just find him to be... Such a relatable guy in the Bible. You know, he's a guy who, and you might be able to relate to this like I can, he says the wrong thing at the wrong time. He does the wrong thing. He always puts his foot in it. He makes mistakes. He has a go and he doesn't quite get it right. Um, But what I love about him is that, that he's so normal, so average. He had a family. He even had a mother-in-law. You know, I'm sure he had many failings in that area of doing the wrong thing and not living up to a standard. I hope mine doesn't watch this video today. Uh, but you know, he's just an everyday, average, kind of ordinary guy and he's so relatable and And uh, so I just love the fact that, that we're looking at him and, and there's so many good things that we can look at in Peter's life as we've heard over the last couple of weeks. But today I want to just talk about one thought that comes from Peter's life and it's A great example of of everything that we read about him in the Bible and it's the concept that your failure does not disqualify you. And if there is a great example of that in the Bible that we can study, it is Peter. So many times, failed. Small failures, big fails. But the thing about him was he kept getting back up. He didn't allow it to disqualify him. He didn't say this is this is it. I can't do it anymore. I've done too many wrong things. He just keeps getting back up and having a go and Pam mentioned last week that he's so often remembered by the mistakes that he made. You know, we we we, use a, we preach from it so many times about the fact that he got out of the boat and he sank. But like Pam shared last week that the thing was that you know, he did walk on water, he did get out of the boat, uh, he did walk back to the boat and get back in and at, and at the end of the day, wouldn't we rather be the guy or girl sitting in the boat wet and cold than the one that was warm and comfortable? You know, that's the thing about Peter's life and and although he had so many things that we, we probably too often focus on that he didn't quite get quite right, uh, the fact is that those failures didn't disqualify him, that Jesus still chose to build his church upon Peter, the rock, that he became the father of what we call the church now. And um, regardless of those many things, didn't disqualify him from his calling, or most importantly from the grace of Jesus Christ, which is the most amazing thing of all. So today I wanted to have a look at uh, the life of two men and their failures, Peter Peter and a guy we've all heard of as well named Judas, the disciple that betrayed Jesus. And we're going to have a, a look at the Gospel of Luke to get a good picture of that. And there's a little bit of reading, but you can follow along on the screen if you want to, if you didn't, don't have your Bible with you. It's Luke chapter 22. We're going to start at verse 47. And this is after that famous story that we know of the Last Supper and Jesus and his disciples in the garden of Gethsemane and it says in verse 47 a crowd approached led by Judas one of the 12 disciples and Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss but Jesus said Judas you betray the son of man with a kiss when the other disciples saw what was about to happen they exclaimed Lord should we fight we brought our swords I love that and, uh, and one of them struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. We know from other Gospels that that was Peter, getting a little adventurous with his sword that he just decided to bring along that day. Verse 51, but Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captains of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary? He asked that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me. Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. Verse 54, so they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him and finally she said this man was one of Jesus followers but Peter denied it woman he said I don't even know him and after a while someone else looked at him and said you must be one of them no man I'm not (laughs) no man Peter retorted he's getting casual about an hour later someone else insisted this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too but Peter said man I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. You will deny me three times that you even know me. This is a conversation that had happened just a few hours earlier. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly the guards in charge of Jesus began mocking and beating him. You know, I'd never picked up that before in this, this story, that, that all this happened in front of Jesus. Just a few hours earlier, Jesus had said, Peter, you're going to deny me. And he said, no, I will not. And then when he actually did, it said, the, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. You know, if there's ever a time to feel... <laughs> like a bit of a failure it's to actually do that right in front of Jesus if we had time we'd jump over to Matthew and look at Judas the next morning the Bible tells us in Matthew that Judas full of remorse for his failure for betraying Christ he went back to the priest and said give here's your silver back I don't want it anymore and uh the Bible goes on to tell us that they rejected him, they told him to get away it's not not our problem it's your problem anymore and 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 the fact of what he'd done, the way he his failure had outcome ultimately led to the loss of his life and If we jump back to luke chapter twenty four a few days later, back into the life of peter and and uh we're going to read this because it's it's Just such a great story. Luke 24 verse 1, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they did not find the body of Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground and the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell the 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of Jesus and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men so they didn't believe it. Verse 12, however, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings and then he went home again wondering what had happened. The story of two men who had epic failures in their life one man betrayed jesus and handed him over to be crucified another man denied him after saying he never would in front of jesus himself two men two failures but two very different ways that they handled that failure let's uh let's take a moment just uh i just want to pray quickly before we get started into looking at this. Just join me. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to gather as your church and hear from you. And I just pray that as we explore the story, this message today, that it would be real to our hearts, a revelation of all that you have already done for us and a message of hope for those who, who feel they have failed or feel they have no hope in their life, that you would speak to them today. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, look, I'm in, a, I'm in an unfortunate position and I think it's probably fortunate for you that, that you, you get this. But unfortunate for me because this, this kind of opportunity that I have, this platform to share, generally means that once a month or so I have to admit to you something embarrassing, something that I have done wrong, a mistake for your benefit of course, but also for your ability to have a little bit of a laugh. And uh, our, my good friend up the back, Hub. There, he says that uh, he said to me the other day that every time I speak, I've got to share a story that embarrasses me. He didn't say it in those words, but I know what he meant. And uh, and I've got to tell an iPhone joke, which I said to him, Hub. Not this week. This week we're going to be serious. <laughs> got it? Okay, good. I'm not going to explain it if you didn't get it. Ask a nerd um, a couple of weeks ago i i uh I had the opportunity to um to have a night away and and uh he's laughing, so it's good I'll get a good hello in the car park this week uh, i I had the opportunity to to go away now when when my mind is a bit clouded, when I need to brainstorm think. Dream about something. Spend some time with God. The thing that I like to do is go into the bush, where there's no distractions. There's nothing to do. And a couple of weeks ago, I went out to a place uh, not far from Tamworth called Nundle, which is this old town, and uh, and you know it gives me the chance to go and hike and kick at rocks, which you all know that I do, and look at old stuff. It's an old mining town, so there's there's heaps of cool stuff up there. And so I I applied to my oversight and and to my boss and said, "Mel, babe, can I can I head away for a night?" And uh she approved my decision, but uh my application, but because it was midweek and because I was going on a solo adventure, I had to take the old car. Couldn't take the good car, had to leave it at home. It's a condition of approval. So off I headed to Nundle. Uh, which is fine, it's nice, it's alright to drive and it's good on fuel and stuff like that And the roads out there, although it's a state forest, they're pretty good It's a logging place, so all the roads are really good And I was driving around exploring some different things and, and doing a bit of hiking And there was a river I wanted to get to, so I thought oh, I'll go find it And when I got to the turn off, it was no longer a nice gravel road It was just more of a dirt road so I surveyed it and had a look and went, this is, this is cool, I can do this. So I, I drove down it and it was fine. Nice, slick road and nothing, nothing too bad with it. And my little Nissan Pulsar was doing fine. And uh, I come around the corner and I saw the river and I headed down the hill and I got to the bottom of the hill. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to be able to get back up that hill. And I turned around and I had a look and I had a couple of attempts And I couldn't get back up. I was in uh, the wrong vehicle in the wrong place. The road was fine, but it was where the the water came out of the mountain and the road was all slick and it was just mud. There was no rock. So I thought, okay, I won't go any further. I'll, uh, I'll spend my energy now trying to get back up the hill in my little car. And so I had a couple of attempts and I was not getting anywhere. The wheels were just spinning and wouldn't you know it, midweek, in the middle of nowhere, over the hill comes not one, but about 12 guys on motorcycles. And there they find me in my little silver car, just sitting on the side of the hill, spinning my tyres. And uh, thankfully they had helmets on, so they could not I couldn't see the incredible laughter that they must have uh, been going through. And um, one of them come up to the window and I just kind of, wound my window down and couldn't make eye contact with him and he said mate I think you're in the wrong vehicle (laughs) you reckon (laughs) you're seeing a little Nissan Pulsar in the middle of the bush do you well done Captain Obvious Um, but he assured me that there was no way that I was getting out the only hope that I had was to walk up to the main road a couple of kilometers and just kind of hope that a four-wheel drive went past and flagged them Uh, because they were on a, a tour and had no cars and And uh, because I'm, like, I'll be honest with you, because I'm a guy, there was no way I was going to go ask another guy for help. So I just kept having more goes at getting up this hill. And to cut a long story short, (laughs) because it was a long story, um, after many goes, I just kind of sunk my head in my steering wheel and said, God, you've got to get me out of here. There's no other way I'm getting out of here. I'm beginning to wonder if the reason why I packed my tent into the car, even though I was staying in the the pub up there, uh, was because I was going about to spend a night in the bush in the middle of winter. Um, I hung my head and uh, and I waited for some divine wisdom and all I really felt was God kind of laugh and go, you know I'm going to make you preach about this one day and I went, yeah, <laughs> yeah right. But, but I don't know if it was just a clear head or no, I'm going to say it was divine wisdom because it was smarter than anything I could come up with. But I cleaned my tyres with a shovel and I went up the top and I filled the the muddy part with rocks, with pebbles that were all there for about 15 minutes, just sat there throwing rocks. And eventually, not eventually, there was enough in there so I, I took a big run up the hill and hit that point and kind of, you know, the power of the 1.8 litre engine just kicked in And it just it just pulled me out the top, and I got out of there, drove straight back to the main road, parked the car, laid on the bonnet for about ten minutes, and just reflected on my life. And um, but the truth is, uh, we we all do dumb things, right? Difference between you and me is I just have to tell you all at once instead of just select it who I know is not going to laugh at me too much and hold it against me. I can already see that Jason is. Where's Jason? Yeah, he's horrified. He's a four-wheel drive man. I'm going to get a stern lecture after this message from him. But we all do these things in our life. We all make mistakes. We all do things that we regret. Uh, We do the wrong thing, the things we call sin. We fall short of what God expects. and, and, And what we allow it to do is we allow it to disqualify ourselves and take us off the field. No longer play the game. And then most of the time we end up sitting on the bench having a little pity party, eating the, the, the oranges that were meant for half time and, and avoiding making any eye contact with the coach because of the things that we've done. That's the truth. We aren't perfect. We all make mistakes. And this story that we've looked at today, this account from the Bible, is about two men and their they're two failures, the one that betrayed Jesus and the one that Denied him after promising he wouldn't, after seeing all the miracles, after seeing the the healings the people set free, the feeding of the 5,000, after he himself walked on water, after everything Jesus said would come to pass, he's still in front of him, sat there and denied him. In Matthew in 27, we read about Judas and how he handled it, how he handled when the reality of what he'd done sank into his thinking. How instead of running back to Jesus, he ran back to the, the thing that actually got him in trouble. He ran back to the sin, to the failure, to the priests. And uh, my, my good friend, Jared, he said to me, we were talking about Judas, and it was a couple of years ago now, but it just is something that absolutely stuck in my head. And this is, this is profound, it really is, and I can say that because it's not mine. But he said to me that Judas missed the greatest opportunity in all of, of eternity for grace. The greatest opportunity for grace in all of eternity was missed by Judas. The man who could have had recorded an incredible demonstration of Jesus' love and his grace for us, but instead of returning back to Jesus, he returned back to the thing that had caused him to fail. He returned back to his failure. You know, that's the truth. You see, Jesus, when, when, when Judas had betrayed him, he wasn't sitting around planning his vengeance. He wasn't waiting for the time that Judas could return to him so he could make him feel bad. But because Judas allowed his failure to disqualify him, he missed the greatest opportunity of grace in all of eternity to return back to Jesus. We look at Peter, Peter and his failure in this situation. He's denying of Christ. In Luke 24, it says the moment that he heard that Jesus may just have been resurrected, that he may just have been back, although the 10 other disciples there didn't believe him, it says that Peter jumped up. And he ran back to Jesus. You see, there are the two differences between these two men and their two failures. One man ran to Jesus with a repentant heart. One man stood back up and jumped and said, I've got to get back to Jesus. I've got to turn from what I'm doing and head back to him. I've got to fix my eyes on him. But the other man, well, he let his failure disqualify him completely from the game of life. He didn't run back to Jesus. He ran back to the, the failure. Our failures do not take us out of the game. They don't disqualify us. It's, it's us that does that in our life by not running back to Jesus with a repentant heart. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, or God says that, His grace, my grace is all that you need. My power works best in your weaknesses. Weakness. It's during the time of our weakness, during the time of our failure, when we need him most, that his power works best and his grace is all that we need. You know, if you've ever been in a place of weakness, if you've ever, or, or even now, feel like Judas, where your failure has disqualified you from the game, where there's no way you can run back to the coach, where you there's no way that you can make eye contact with him that you think this is it I cannot ever recover from this situation well there's good news for you today you see God says that his grace is all that you need not to run back to the thing that took you out of the game in the first place not to sit on the sidelines and not participate anymore because God says in that moment when you feel weak in that moment when you don't feel like you can ever get back on the field that's the time that my power is greatest within you And not only that, my grace is all that you need. You don't need anything else but to run back to Jesus in that time. And that's because, you know, he's got a purpose and a plan for our life, right? We read that in Jeremiah 27. He loves us so much. You might feel like you're crawling around. You might feel like... You fail, but the truth is that nothing changes you from being able to come back into the grace of Jesus Christ. Nothing disqualifies you from the plan and the purpose that He has for you. Only if you choose to sit on the sideline and not run back to Him. Peter, our main character, he uh, in one of his first messages that he ever preached in Acts chapter three. He said, now it's time to change your ways, turn to face God so he can wipe away your sins, pour out showers of blessing to refresh you. You see, that's the difference that we can have in our life. When we make those mistakes, when we do dumb things like driving the dirt roads on the bush or other things that we feel put us in a position of weakness, put us in a position of, you know, I I can never recover from this. God will never want to use me again. How can I come back to God? It's by turning our eyes back to him, changing our ways, facing God, fixing our eyes on him. So not only can he wipe away our sin, but so he can pour out showers of blessing to you. That's what I love about Peter. Peter, time after time after time, Made mistakes like we as humans do. Didn't do things quite right or did things really wrong. But every time he got back up, turned from his ways, fixed his eyes on Jesus and went back to him. You know, I think as humans, we we expect God to react a little bit differently when we've let him down. When we've done these things that we call failures or sin, things that separate us from God. We expect him to be a little bit different. We expect him to act like humans and not be full of compassion and of love. You know, there's, there's a couple of guys in our youth ministry right now who um, they can't be in the same connect group because one of them owes the other one 10 bucks. So they 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 can't they can't exist in the same room together because because he owes him ten bucks. And and our leaders are like, seriously, like we could we'll pass the hat around if that's all it takes to get him to connect root. Ten bucks. But isn't it just our natural default as a human to to when we've failed someone or or feel like we owe someone or someone's let us down to to not even want to be in the same room as them? You know, both of those boys don't want to be around the other. One's embarrassed because he can't pay the 10 bucks. The other one's cranky because he owes him 10 bucks. And in the end, we think like this as humans. It's true. But our problem when we face failure in our life or mistakes or dumb things is we, we think God thinks the same as us. That we can't come back into his presence. We can't come back to church. We can't lift our hands in worship. We can't ever be used again because we owe God 10 bucks. And he's not going to want to be in the same room as us. And he's going to want to demand that we pay him back. And we can't have any kind of relationship with him until that debt is paid. But that is the complete opposite of how Jesus is. How our God is. He's not sitting there waiting with a list of things that we need to do or waiting for our debt to be repaid. Because the Bible tells us what? That our debt has already been paid. That Jesus in this story that we have already read, his crucifixion, his his depths into the pits of hell to defeat all of that has already been paid for us. He's sitting there thinking, what 10 bucks? You've spent thousands, I don't need you to repay anything, you've already paid the price for that. He's just looking at us with compassion, with love, waiting for the opportunity that we will turn from our ways and fix our eyes on him and get up back off the ground and not allow that thing to disqualify us. It's it's, it's documented, Jesus used the example of the parable of the lost son. The greatest example that we can understand as humans who are always going to be looking for our failures to be repaid is the parable of the lost son. The son that went to his father and said, give me everything that's mine. I want all my inheritance. And he went off and he used it all up. And after all the partying and all the living and all the things that we all have done and are guilty of, The Bible tells us, or Jesus told us this story, that that the man finds himself like living in a pig pen, eating the scraps that were left over from the pigs. And he, even in his human mind, said, you know what, even the servants in my father's house live better than this. I'm going to go back and plead with him, plead with my father and see if I can become a servant in his house. And the Bible tells us that as the man, as the son Walked around the corner, the father was waiting for him on the end of the driveway. Not because he he saw the son update his Instagram and say, I'm going home. Not because he was tagged in a Facebook post that said, dad, get ready, I'm coming home. But because every day the father would wait in hope that the son would come. After everything that had been taken, after every failure, after every story that he'd heard about what his son had done. He still waited on the end of the driveway with compassion in his eyes, waiting for the son to come home. Jesus went on to say that that when the father saw the son, he didn't reprimand him. He didn't chastise him. He didn't point at him and say, I knew you'd be back one day when you ran out of everything. It says he ran to him. He hugged him. He kissed him put a robe on his shoulders, the son came home to be a servant and the father put the family ring back on his finger and said, you're my son, let's throw a party, you're back home. And, you know, wouldn't our life be different if we understood, if it was revealed to our hearts, and, and maybe that's for you this morning, that, that in the times that we fail, in the times that we make mistakes and take ourselves out of the game and and, and we fall short of what God expects, that what the Bible calls sin, that we don't need to turn up with our $10 repayment. We don't need to turn up and beg and plead, God, can you just let me be a servant in the house? But we can just walk back and say, God, I have turned from my ways. I have fixed my eyes back on you and that he would embrace us. Our failure only disqualifies us from the game when we let it take us out, when we don't get back up and walk back to Jesus with repentance in our heart. Can we get the, uh, the band to come up and we're going we're gonna to sing and pray. I think we might sing I'm Running Into Your Arms. The first one, yeah. We're going to do broken vessels because this song kind of spoke to me about the fact that we, you know that's who God uses—broken vessels, people that aren't perfect, people that are broken and have been. Like like Peter talked about. This Peter talked about just this morning. But this song, I'm I'm running into your arms. You know that is exactly what we need to do. When our failure or our sin takes us out of the game. Not run back to something that eventually is going to cost us our life, but run back to Jesus. Run back. Without $10 in our hand, without anything, just run back to Him. And I love these words about, I'm running into your arms. I'm running into your arms. Because that's what I imagine that, that Jesus was picturing in the parable of the lost son, that thought of, of walking towards the father's house again. Imagine all the things that were, well don't imagine, think about the things that go through your head. When you come into the presence of God, when you think about coming to church, when you wake up in the morning, the thoughts that go through our head would have been the thoughts that were in the head of the son as he walked towards the father. But the father ran. The father who had been waiting every day just in hope that the son would return. And like this song says, because nothing can compare to his embrace, nothing can compare.